Hey everyone, this is Race, Justice, and the Church. I'm your host, Nate Winstead. You can follow me at Nate, Knight with a K, wins. Today, we're talking with Tia Richards. I'm so excited. Today, we got Tia on the mic. What's up, Tia? What's up? (laughs) (laughs) So Tia is, uh, we actually work together now at The Gathering in Harlem. It's a a recent development, very excited about. Um, So Tia is a New Jersey native. But you grew up mo- mostly in Brooklyn, right? I grew up in Jersey. I was actually born in Brooklyn. So I'm oh. a Brooklyn native. So you're more of a Brooklyn native. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you grew up in New Jersey. Yes. Okay. Um, and when I first met Tia, she worked for the New York City's, the New York City Mayor's Office to End Domestic and Gender-Based Violence. Yep. Yeah. Um, and now she works for Safe Families, an organization that connects families in crisis to neighborhood resources and relationships. Um, and then at the gathering Harlem from the very beginning, <laughs> Tia has been a major key in our hospitality ministry. Uh, she really has grown it from just like a few volunteers to nearly like 80 volunteers or something that are on the whole team. Um, yeah, she's very humble about it, but she's amazing. Um, and she recently came on staff, um, becoming our life group coordinator, as well as the team development coordinator. Yes. Overall, she's amazing yes thank you so tia welcome thank welcome you. to the mic yeah i'm excited <laughs> i'm excited to, to be here um so tia mm-hmm. could you let us know just who you are um and really when i mean since we talk about the church like what was your church background mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah if any growing up and that yeah. kind of stuff sure um so my mom is actually a daughter of a pastor her father was a huge oh, pastor mm-hmm, in brooklyn at a pentecostal church um cool. and so my mom you know grew up just being a pk um and um she had me very young out of wedlock which is a very big deal and yeah, oh, um in the pentecostal church in the pentecostal sure. church and so i think it really shaped my mom's and i think that was like a breaking point of separating um like God and then also just like the church. And so it really shaped my mom's experience with God and also the church. Um, and so my mom, so that because of that, I think my mom, I grew up like being in and out of church where like we'd be in church yeah. for periods. And if my mom got hurt, we'd leave. We wouldn't be in church because that's kind of just what happened to her. Um, gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, so I grew up like knowing that like if you were good, this is what a good Christian did. This is not what a good Christian did. And just like kind of, yeah, that always being my experience. I think on my own, probably around 12 or 13, I just knew that like there were things about the Pentecostal church for me that didn't feel like God. I didn't feel God mm. in certain spaces. Um, and so I started going to a Baptist church. Um, for me, that's where okay. I felt like I cultivated my own relationship that wasn't like what I was told that God was and who God was and how God saw us. That was the first place where I felt like I got to encounter Jesus like on my own. Um, and that's really, I feel like, the church that, like, really developed me. Um, so I was there for probably 10 years until I actually moved oh, wow. to New York. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So. so what brought you, yeah, what brought you to New York? Yeah. Um, honestly, I I always knew. So I was born in Brooklyn, but very, very early my mom moved to Jersey just because she was a poor single mom. Uh-huh. And she didn't want me to be in public schools like in the hood in Brooklyn. And so she knew that in Jersey I could be in a public school, but it'd mm. just be a better environment. Gotcha. And if she's right, it was I had a really good like childhood in that way. I didn't grow up in a normal, like single mom 
low-income environment mm-hmm. just because of where we were in Jersey. Um, but I always knew. I was, like, the one kid that, like, of all my mom's kids, I knew that I that, that life just wasn't for me. I knew mm-hmm. I was going to move back um, to New York. And so, really, right after college, I started interviewing. And I think the first job, the first interview that I had in Brooklyn, I knew at that moment. I was like, no, I'm coming. I'm coming back. And that job interview was the job that I got, and that kind of transitioned me back to New York. Um, and so that job was actually a Haitian women's rights organization. Wow. Yeah. And they specifically worked with women um, that were victims of domestic violence in the Haitian community. Okay. So and you are not Haitian. I am not Haitian. So <laughs> it was interesting. And I learned a lot um, just about just culturally what it looks like mm-hmm. to not only be suffering from domestic violence, but also to be an immigrant in this country and just all the different layers yeah. that adds to it. Um, and so it was a great experience. I learned a lot. I got to meet a lot of different people. Um, and then from that, I just kind of like slowly transitioned to one moving back to New York and also just figuring out where it was that I was supposed to be. But that is a moment that I remember even now is the moment where I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, it was mm. so clear. It was yeah. the first moment where I feel like I just knew where I was supposed to be. So Cool. Yeah. So you're back in New York. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, I met you when you were going to Renaissance Church, mm-hmm. but like. Yeah, how did you find Renaissance? Yeah, um, and so I think it's so funny. It's like you just you don't even realize the cycles that you repeat. I think I have a very similar cycle from like just growing up in that I would go to a church for a while, mm-hmm. and then if I didn't like something or if I saw something that I felt like didn't make sense, I would just stop yeah. going there. Um, and even the church that I went to for a very long time, that 10 years was like off and on. I was like, eh, I'm going to try it. So I think even the entire time I was in New York, I knew that I wanted to be in a church community, but – I was very easily turned off from the church, right? Like if I heard something, if I saw something or heard something in a message that didn't feel like aligned to what I believed, it'd be easy for me to leave. Um, and so mm-hmm. a friend had invited me to a renaissance and it was good. I feel like the word there is sound. It's like they preach the gospel there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first time where I realized that like I needed more than I, I really wanted community. And for me, I was kind of struggling mm. to find community um, yeah. in that space. Just me. And I don't think that it has anything. But I did enjoy the word. So I was coming there pretty, pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was enjoying the word. But that was kind of where it began and ended for me um, at Renaissance. I wasn't I didn't know anybody really I didn't have friends there besides the friend that I came with. And that was just what I was doing there. Yeah. yeah. And then Pastor Kenny came mm-hmm. on a Sunday, like yeah. him and the whole core team. Mm-hmm. I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We visited Renaissance. He preached yeah. a message. And then uh, Pastor Jordan, um, who's the, the guy who's uh, planted and pastors Renaissance, got up at the end and was like, if you, you know, resonate with Kenny's message, um, if you're interested in this church plant that he's doing, you know, I totally bless you to go out and talk to him and, you know, you can leave Renaissance like, yeah, which is a which is a, a great thing. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, Tia, you're such a gem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't know it at the time. Yet, yeah. But you've been amazing. Yeah. Um, just a little side note. Thanks, Renaissance. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. <laughs> Honestly, I remember him saying that. And because I was kind of like, well, I'm coming here. And like, what am I going to leave? And he said that. And I was like, oh, that's it. Say the word. Say no more. <laughs> and that's because I would not, just my personality, I would not normally have like gone up 
to like mm-hmm. Pastor Kenny after, at any church and just gone up to this pastor and been like, hey, I'm interested in what you're doing. But it was that push from Jordan that made me oh, wow. feel like, okay, he's saying that it's okay and I feel something. I do feel something. And he's saying if I feel something, I should go talk to him. So I did. That's actually the push that made me come up and say, hey, like I want to know more about what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about um, just – uh, about justice, about your passion for um, justice. Um, so how did you get into, you know, this, you said it was an internship that got you connected with the um, mm-hmm. Haitian. It was a job. Yeah, I was working there. With mm-hmm. uh, with domestic violence. So, yeah. And then how did you get to the mayor's mm-hmm. office yeah. With, uh, yeah. working in domestic violence? Um, so I think gender-based violence. Yeah. So I think that first job was just kind of like the beginning of then a path of just continuing to be in spaces and places and jobs that were focused around just, you know, minorities, the disenfranchised, just people that were suffering. Mm. Um, and so it was just, it just kept happening. One opportunity after another jobs, just where I was going, it just kept happening. And actually the mayor's office, I'd actually worked with my boss at the time at a job before that. And she had left, went to the mayor's office and kind of was moving up there in the mayor's office. And we were friends on Facebook. And I think I made a joke to her like, Oh, one day, you're going to hire me one day. I'm going to come work for you. And it was like a joke. And I feel like a year later she reached out to me and she was like, I actually am hiring. Like I just got promoted and I have this position to fill. Like, would wow. you do it? Yeah. And I was kind of <laughs> like, I'm not even, I'm not unhappy at yeah, work. I feel like you do that every once in a while. You just say something I just say out something. loud. Yeah, like it's a joke to and me. you don't know you're prophesying. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, it was, I Lord sent hears, her a message you know? on Facebook as a joke. And a year later mm. she reached out to me. Wow. And it was weird because I wasn't unhappy at work, Mm -hmm. but so I wasn't even sure. But I went on the interview and she was just so excited about me. And it was just like this great opportunity and they were doing really great work. And so it was it was really I wasn't looking for a job. I was okay where I was at, but it was just a good opportunity. And so that's how I ended up working for the mayor's office. Yeah. And what what kind of work did you do? Yeah. So I oversaw. So we had five. We have. We had. They still have five family justice centers. And so the family justice centers, there's one in each borough. And they're really a one-stop shop for victims of domestic violence. They can come in. They can speak to a lawyer. They can get an order of protection. They can get their food stamps case reopened. They can apply for services. They can do everything. Um, And just this idea that families in crisis on it, the the biggest challenge is all the different steps, all the places they have to go to get everything done. So it's this amazing spot where they can do all of these things. They have counselors there, all kinds of people come in. So they're partnered with 50 to 100 different agencies that can do all different kinds of things. So you can get a counselor, you can see a lawyer, you can figure out what's going on with your housing case. You can do all that in this space. And so I oversaw um, just the the budgets for all those areas and then like the, the pro- programmatic oversight um just like how like there's all this diversity right like every single center looks different Staten island looks really different from brooklyn and so mm. a large part of my job was one kind of getting everyone on the same page of like hey this is who we are and this is how we're going to do this and then also helping to support um the financial part to make all these programs happen wow um so it was super cool work it was really exciting i got to see a lot in the same way and just see just all the different ways that the really the mayor's office does a great job of supporting a lot of these CBOs to do this work, a lot of these nonprofits to do this work already, but in this space that also supports families. So, yeah, that's yeah. huge. I feel like, yeah, oh, it just sounds daunting. All yeah, it was things, a crazy all the hoops time. You have to jump mm-hmm. through, and yeah. then you're able to like put them all in one place. Like, 
in a way that's actually helpful. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, families. No, it's, I always say it's one of the things that I think as a New Yorker, like it's something that we could be proud of that our city mm. does this. This is not, I mean, there are other states and places that do it, but for a city like New York, that's so big that, you know, yeah. we see this as important and we're doing this. It's really a beautiful thing. It's something yeah. to be proud of that our city does. I mean, we got to so. deal with the MTA out here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> think about a mess. it. Right. Like if a family, if a mom had to go to all those places in a mm. day yeah. on the chain with her with kids, children, like, what does that even look like? You know, oh. so to be able to get that many services in one spot in and all of the family justice centers are also located in the family courthouses. So it's like yeah. while they're doing all this other stuff, they can go and get these services. It's just wow. really all amazing. right. Come on, New York. So, yeah, it's, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I didn't know all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to um, also like um, let our listeners think about like, so you were doing that kind of work mm-hmm. and then you um, started coming to the gathering. Mm-hmm. So like what was that? Uh, connection like yeah just having to do with justice and your faith yeah well for me it felt like the first time I had ever heard a pastor talk about justice in this way right and like really really made it clear that Jesus believed in justice I Mm. feel like I'd heard churches kind of like subtly say that but I'd never heard it said so clear and for me it felt like the first time that I saw that and I remember thinking I found my people like these are my people Mm. these are my people I found my tribe people who understand and believe this and just have a heart for justice I'd never experienced that in the church I, I I felt like before that it was always separate like I knew people I had all of my friends were either social workers or doing some kind of justice work. Mm-hmm. And then I had church friends, but they weren't they were they weren't the same people. Those were two different groups of people. Right. And it so was the, the first time. The worlds time. were colliding. Yeah, it was the first time where I was like, these might be my people because <laughs> they love God and they love Jesus. And they also believe that Jesus believes in justice. So mm. that so therefore they love justice. And that was the first time that I'd seen that anywhere. And so I was like, This these might be my people. This is this is wild. So Wow, that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus believes in justice, y'all. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, cool. So, mm-hmm. since we're talking about <laughs> justice, the church, and race, yeah. Um, Tia told me an interesting story a while ago that I was like, "Wow, people need to hear this." Um, just to like grow in your perspective. Uh, so, you know me. I'm your average white dude. <laughs> I really am. Uh, my family just did an ancestry thing, and I'm from like. Ireland and England mm. like and that's pretty much it yeah yeah like I'm the whitest dude you can you can find um anyway so when Tia first met me at like one of our bible studies that we mm-hmm. had pre-launch at the gathering um she later told me that she was really suspicious of me did not want to talk to me I just kept yammering on I guess like yeah. asking her questions yeah. and I would she wouldn't she would give a short answer and then I yeah. would just like keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and anyway, I was just like um you know, I think I think it's important for people to just kind of hear um you know what your perspective is um you know coming into coming into a church um like the gathering that was um you know is trying to be um, yeah. you know, ethnically, ethnically diverse. And there's yeah. this white guy here yeah. um, talking to you and what that whole experience was yeah. like. Well, I think for me, um, growing up in the suburbs of New Jersey, I feel like it's not like maybe growing up in the South. And I feel like I, what I experienced and how I experienced racism looks different. I mm. think there was a lot more 
subtlety. There's a lot more microaggressions. And so I think for me, just because that has just been my experience where it wasn't oh, wait. necessarily. We should say, Tia, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> where's your family of origin? Yeah, sure. So my mom is, so my parents, both of my parents are Caribbean. My mom is Jamaican. My dad is from the Virgin Islands. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, uh, we're just really Caribbean. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think for me, I think specifically when growing up, I never recalled like what I would consider blatant racism. Mm. Instead, it was like the microaggressions. Um, one of the stories that my mom tells people is that I spent like a very short period of my childhood, maybe like a year and a half in Jamaica. And when I mm. came back, I kind of picked up an accent. Uh-oh. And <laughs> going to school, they oh, didn't, they started to say that I had a speech problem. And my mom had to fight with them. Wow. That, like She doesn't have a speech problem. She doesn't have a speech impediment. She just has an accent like that. She spent some formidable years like in Jamaica. And that was something where like they were really they tried to actually hold me back around that. It was like a wow. whole thing. And so we actually ended up moving to a different district. They made me do some aptitude test, realized that I was actually like scoring off the charts, mm. ended up getting put in like a gifted and talented program. But that's my mom fighting and saying she right. does not have a speech problem. She does not have a speech impediment. I won't let you. Um, tell her that she does and I, I'm not going to put her in these speech classes wow. right so just I think those are the those are the ways that my family my mom as immigrant mom experienced racism it wasn't mm. always saying like oh you're this you're that it was just things like that and so I yeah. think for me I grew up with this understanding that it wasn't going to be what they said it was like what they didn't say or how they said like just for white people that was my experience of like it wasn't Mm. always going to be what they said to me it's going to be what they didn't say to me what they did you know what they told me i couldn't do and so i think i oh man that's that's big that's huge yeah people to hear like yeah so i think i my white people (laughs) like even things that we say yeah don't match up with what we do right or like they're just not related even sometimes yeah yeah you know like yeah we might feel one way or think one way, but yeah. you just got to look at how, what are the, what are the, what are the, what are the results? actions what behind happens? that? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's like, if you as a white man come up to me and you're like, hi, I'm glad you're here. I expect you to say that. I don't expect you to mean that. Mm. I just don't. And so wow. I think I just walk into spaces with the suspicion of like, well, they might be nice to me. They might say that I'm welcome. Mm. They might say that I have a space here, but that might not be what happens. And so how do I then like move accordingly in that? I think that is just how I walk into spaces all the time Yeah. Um, with this idea that even if they're being nice to me, it doesn't mean that they're going to respect me or see me or hear me or value me. Um, yeah. So I think that was my thing with you where it's just like, you're saying that you want to know where I'm from. You're saying you <laughs> want to know these things. But that might not be true, and I don't really want to invest in that with you. Mm, like, I'm yeah. perfectly fine with just <laughs> not pretending that we're going to be friends. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'd rather that. Um, and so it was just yeah. a weird thing of, like, he's, he keeps asking me questions, and I'm not really sure. I'm trying to be nice. I like this church, but this guy, I don't know <laughs> how this is going to work out. Um, so, yeah, I think that was my experience. Man. I would also like to say I yeah. feel like you've really been someone that's – in time has shown me like no this is really who you are right like it wasn't just talk to talk it's like mm-hmm. this is really the life that you live because look at you here recording this podcast, <laughs> this podcast. So, yeah, yeah. yeah well i think i mean i think it's just a huge it's just a huge thing to to uh you know i think uh, i mean white people we really focus on like um we uh, how how we treat people in like a one-on-one interaction yeah 
Um, you know, I'm not racist because I didn't call someone the N word or something right. like that. You yeah. know, like which that is like the lowest bar. Right, <laughs> in right, the right. World. Yeah. Um, but we don't take into account uh, you know, how the uh how the all the systems um you know affect people how yeah i mean that story of uh you know the whole speech impediment thing Mm -hmm. um that's such a like crystal clear touchstone like Mm -hmm. this was um you know people the teachers and everybody could say that they're for tia they love Mm -hmm. tia she's great blah 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 but what their actions were saying was something different yeah their actions were saying that uh, you know, this accent uh, is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and actually means she's like behind mm-hmm. and dumb. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so we got to take into account, our, you know, our actions. Um, you, you can't just say like diversity is a value that we have. It's like, okay, great. Like, yeah. please show me the results right. of what you're doing, like what specific things you are doing to to get there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we, it can't just be all talk. Um, you know, James said, you know, you, you can't just say to uh, someone who is poor, you know, be well fed right. and clothed, you know, and go on your way. No, you have to do something. Faith has to have um, actions in the same way our words have to have actions to them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a I think that's a, a huge thing that um, I don't know, white people in our uh like privilege we think that mm-hmm. words are enough yeah when yeah if you take a step back like that's ridiculous mm-hmm. because it's never been about words it's always been about action yeah yeah i don't know i could go on no you got <laughs> it yeah like, yeah you know slavery was an action yeah there no word it's not anything about words mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. jim crow was about those are actions you yeah. know it was all about things that happen not not words um you know segregated churches yeah those are actions yeah there's yeah. a lot of words that nobody you know heeded right uh the the preaching of yeah um yeah anyway yeah no <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right so um so tia mm-hmm. um like what has it been like now i'm going off script here a yeah, little bit sure. just like what has it been like being at the gathering um, going from just somebody who, like, uh, you join the hospitality team, mm-hmm. and now you're like coordinating all of our teams. Yeah. Like, what what has this whole experience been like for you? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, <laughs> it's a joke sometimes. <laughs> like, sometimes I can like stand in a corner and laugh. It is hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. If anyone, there's no point in my life if someone would have said, "Hey." In two years, three years, four years, five years, you're going to be at this church, like leading teams and ministries that I would have like you couldn't pay me to believe that. I just wouldn't have believed that. Um, So I just think it's like God is just so funny, you know, like the plan that he has and how much bigger it is than us, you know. And so I think um, for me, what that's what it's been like. It's been I don't think and I, I really lately I've been praying that I never I never lose wonder of how amazing god is because i still live in such wonder of like where he has me right now that's a word yeah and so for me it's been this thing where i'm like i i want to keep this because i am still like it's funny to me it's hilarious sometimes i laugh about it that i'm a church leader um i would have never saw Mm -hmm. that for myself so i think that's the space i'm I'm in so yeah 
Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so here's mm-hmm. the question I ask yeah. everybody at some point. Um, many of my listeners, I assume, out there mm-hmm. um, are white evangelical church leaders. Um, and if you could tell them anything, mm-hmm. what what would you like to tell them? Yeah, um, I think there are a couple of things, but I think the first thing that I'm thinking is that um, – heart posture is just one part of it Mm. heart posture is like the first part of it right like your heart posture is in the right place to embrace people to love everyone that's great but it's just not enough you Mm. can have the right heart posture and still hurt people you can have the right heart posture and still be not aligned with how it is that god wants you to love people that don't look like you um so i think that would be the first thing i would say is that heart posture isn't enough but there has to be more to that which i think leads to my second thing which is if every time you look around, even with the perfect heart posture, you only see people that look like you, mm-hmm. something isn't working and that yeah. you will never really understand anyone really um, without some proximity to things that aren't like you. Um, yeah. And so I think even for myself, right, I think that's the lesson that God continues to show me that, um, you know, Jesus really was, he was with people, right. And that mm. allowed him to understand people in a very different way. And so, there is such power in proximity. And I think yeah. just being able to move yourself out of the stuff that feels comfortable, right? And moving yourself into proximity of people that don't look like you, talk like you, act like you, um, have the same shared experiences as you is going to do more than you can ever do from a distance. Yeah. Um, and that Jesus just didn't do like he just He didn't do that. He didn't live in, in the distance and talk to people, right? Yeah. Like he was constantly with people and that there's power in that there's power in that discomfort there's power in how god can use you in that um and then i think lastly um for i think white people that desire to actually love people well um there has to definitely be um space to just listen to people Mm, um yeah right because i think just and this is human nature i don't know i don't think this is just white people i think a desire to fix things and to fix people and to fix situations is heavy and mm-hmm. hard. And I think there has to be a constant push against that of just instead of saying, how can, what, can, what do I need to hear? What is it that God wants me to hear from other people? What is it that God wants me to hear in situations that yeah. aren't like mine? Um, I think that would be, yeah, the last thing that I Man, would say. Yeah, that's, that's all <laughs> really great stuff. Um, yeah. And what comes to mind as you're saying this is like that's – that's the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talked about having the right heart posture, and Jesus's heart posture was towards the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. even like to, to be a good person, to do the right thing, to yeah. love people. It was the will of, mm-hmm. of the Father. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if our heart posture is right towards him, it'll lead us towards his will. And then, um, you know, Jesus, uh, what was the second thing you said? It was proximity. The, the proximity. Like, yeah. yes, he comes... He is the only God who comes to mm-hmm. his people. Yeah. He, yeah. he, you know, leaves the riches of heaven to become poor for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think about Jesus. He lived his life for 30 years before he did any miracles yeah. or did anything. Yeah. And there's a lot of listening in a sense. Yeah. Or how much experience did he just get from like, just like the plight of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. There None of most of us are not willing to give 30 years to just be in something before we want to change it, 
give our opinion on how it can be better. <laughs> yeah. Like, we won't even Ooh. do 30 minutes, right? In a space before <laughs> right. we're like, I know how this can be better. 30 seconds, be be- right, let me tell you what. Right, let me tell you what's wrong. Let me tell you how it can be better. Uh-huh. Just Most of us don't don't even live in that space. But, like, that's his, that's Jesus' reality. Is that what he, that's what he did. He just lived. He was just a human being, yeah. right? Like, he hurt. He got tired. Like, he did all those things. He just, like, did that. And I think there's power in that. There's power in just being with people and just sitting in spaces and not wanting to impact or change or make them better, just sitting in that before we even move into, like, the next phase of that, right? Yeah. So. Oof. Yeah. Oh, man, I that's mean, what so would good. it look like? Seriously, to have 30 years experience in just anything and just being with people mm-hmm. that didn't look like you. There's no way that that's not going to change then how you interact with them, right? Like, if there's no way. It's impossible that that's not going to change how you see people, right? Even sometimes that small way of, like, how we – we then decide that, you know, the experience that we have with one person is how everyone is of a certain right. group. Jesus yeah. just got to do that for 30 years. So he's probably saw all kinds of people with all kinds of experiences and mm-hmm. all kinds of ways of moving through the world that we just, we don't even sometimes take the time to do that. Right. We're so quick to make a, a judgment or assessment of something um, instead of just being in it. So Yeah, I imagine Jesus probably had some... Uh, Difficult experiences with some yeah. Roman citizens, with right. some soldiers yeah, of yeah. some kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously he's in Palestine. You know, there's there's people from all over the world traveling mm-hmm. through there. Of course, he's part of a Jewish culture. But, yeah. like, yeah, you can't judge everybody. Like, everybody. You can't make a stereotype yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's powerful. Come on, Tia. <laughs> <laughs> Preaching a whole word out here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, I think that's I think that's it for this episode. Thank Tia, you. Thank you, thank you so for much me. for being on my podcast. Yeah, this is fun. Um, yeah, so thanks everybody. I will see y'all later. See y'all. Bye. Bye.